Well, hi everybody. Welcome to the All Things That Go Bump in the Night podcast. Uh, as always, I am your host, Kelly, and today we have a very special guest, my sister, Mickey. You want to say hi, Mick? Hi. I, I'm uh, recording for the podcast as well. So, this week we are going to be covering the possibly the sickest serial killer that I have ever researched. Um, David Parker Ray, also known as the Toy Box Killer. I had a very hard time with this, I'm not going to lie. Um, I had a really, really hard time doing the research for this because it, I mean, he was so sick. He was probably, you know, I had to quit reading for a couple of days because of just how, how I felt afterwards. I felt disgusting. I felt severe anxiety. Like it was horrible. So I'm not going to get into depth on a lot of the things that he did just because one, yeah, I don't think we would need to, it's, it's, I've read some stuff and it's bad. Yeah. Um, mainly the, you know, the, um, the podcast or not the podcast, the, uh, the recording, the audio tape that he did. I didn't listen to it, but I found the transcript and I was originally going to read it live, but as I was reading through it, I was like, nope, you know, if the simulcast was working, Facebook and YouTube would have, and Get Vocal would have flagged it and probably taken it down because it was just so disgusting. Um, <clears throat> but David Parker Ray was born November 6th, in 1939 in Bellin, New Mexico. He had a father, Cecil, who was an abusive alcoholic. And he had one sister named Peggy, who was just one year younger than David. David was named after his 13-year-old uncle, David, who was shot to death just one year before David was born. Um, I got most of my, um, all of the previous things leading up to the recording, I got all of that information from the Toy Box Killer on Amazon Prime. Uh, it was like a 30-minute long video, and... It kind of just gave a bunch of his early life. Um, and then I also got from ThoughtCo an article that I will be reading. Um, so when David was 10, Cecil left his wife, Nettie, and moved David and Peggy to Albuquerque, New Mexico to live with David's paternal grandparents, Ethan and Dolly Ray. The kids lived there for six years, only seeing Cecil twice and Nettie only a handful of times. Ethan was very abusive and controlling, and uh, David claimed that Ethan had very high expectations for the kids, from the way they dressed down to their behaviors. If the children didn't live up to Ethan's expectations, they were physically punished. They lived on a ranch and were expected to do chores before and after school every single day. But they were also very clean kids. Um, that was one thing that Ethan believed heavily in, was that the children should be clean when they go to school, in clean clothes, freshly showered. Um, when F Cecil did visit, he would give David these detective magazines that had very graphic content involving BDSM and um, sexual assault. 
Dolly believed that David was the reincarnation of her son, David, who uh, he was named after. Um, David claimed that there was no love or affection shown to him during his childhood. And I believe that with him being abusive or abused, you know. How old was he when um, he was given that stuff to him? I think he was only, I think he was just barely a teenager. None of the stuff that I found actually said how old he was when he was given these, these things to read first. Um, yeah. But I definitely, I think I see where you're coming like from on that. Maybe for like puberty or around puberty well, age. Well, I think, yeah, around puberty age because he didn't move to in with his grandparents until he was 10. So I yeah. think it was some. T it had to have been sometime after that. Um, okay. I'm pretty sure. Maybe I was like around twelve. I'll have to see it. Maybe. Um, I I think I see where you're going with that though. Is you know when you're given those types of materials before a certain age, you know it kind of sets the stage to kind of what you view as appropriate. Yeah, I mean it's like. A role model in your life, mm -hmm. in a sense, for who he was given in his life, you know, and that's what he has to look up to, and then that's what he was given by that person that he looked up to. Oh, I can't imagine. Like, it's all, yeah, definitely sets that pace already. Mm hmm. Sure. Um, David did claim that he was bullied in school mercilessly for being very soft-spoken and conservative, especially around women. And we kind of see that, you know, with um, Jeffrey Dahmer and Ed Gein, you know, these are, and even Ted Bundy, you know, before Ted Bundy became Ted Bundy, he was very quiet and conservative and didn't have his first date until after, I think he was 18. And just like with David Parker Ray, he did not have his first date until he was 18. Yeah. Um, he did have a He also did very poorly in school, um, did not do well in school at all. Uh, he did have a neighbor, Augie Miranda, who always defended him because David, oddly enough and ironically enough, did not believe in violence. So he, when he was being bullied, you know, he just kind of took it. And I just find that very ironic because this is a man who went on to do very sick and disgusting things, you know, but didn't believe in violence. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, probably, was probably like a buildup of things. Uh -huh. You know, like at first he probably handled it and took it, but then of course when it happens for so long. Yeah. Um. When he was 12 years old, he began making bombs on his grandparents' property and became very interested in auto mechanics. He was very fascinated in how to take things apart and put them back together and see kind of what made them, I don't want to say tick because we're talking about bombs here, but made them tick. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he... I mean, 12 years old and making bombs, that's, that's not healthy behavior at all. Yeah. Um, in, all. in high school, he started to, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, in high school, he began to abuse drugs and alcohol. And we saw that with J 
Jeffrey Dahmer as well. He experimented with drugs and alcohol in high school and became a massive alcoholic and was known in school for showing up drunk. Um, during that time period, though, David began to fantasize about sexually assaulting, torturing, and murdering women. Um, Peggy would end up finding Ray's graphic drawings and photos depicting bondage during that same time period. At 15, he created his own dungeon under a tree on the property, complete with a noose and broken bottles that he dreamed about using on women. He admitted to digging a hole in this makeshift dungeon and engaging in intercourse with the ground. After high school, David became a mechanic and married in 1959. Uh, sorry, lost where I was. Uh, he became a me mechanic and was married in 1959 who, to a woman who would end up becoming pregnant with his first child. He joined the military a year later after his wife became pregnant and was shipped off to Korea. However, he would have to come back on emergency leave after his wife was found to have left their son home alone so she could go out and party. Wow. Mm-hmm. After that, David filed for divorce and was awarded full custody of his son, but... Did you see, that? Did you see how old their kid was when she left him home alone? Uh, I think he was like a year old. Not even a year old, because, yeah, oh he was still a baby. Gosh. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, Ray's mother, Nettie, and her husband would raise the baby until Ray was honorably discharged from the army, and he married again in 1962 at the age of 22, but just three months later filed for divorce, claiming that they just didn't click. Ray married a third time in 1966 to a woman named Glenda Burdeen. The marriage lasted 15 years and resulted in having a daughter named Glenda Jean, who would go by the nickname Jessie, and she was born in 1969. Jessie claimed that she, uh, Ray spent a lot of time away when he worked for the railroad company, and she also said that when she was younger, she was snooping around and found that he had a fetish for padded leather straps and other bondage stuff, but it was just never really talked about, and especially in that period of time, you know, you never really talked about that type of stuff. Um, Ray and Glenda would eventually divorce, and he would go on to marry a fourth time, which also ended in divorce. I never really got the names. Yeah, I never got the names to the other three wives or the son, and I think I didn't want to look them up because, you know, they're way in the past, and... I don't think, I didn't want to tie them to him, especially the son, because the son had nothing to do with how he became when he was older, you know. So I did not want to put. Jesse does. Was that? Does Jesse? We'll get into that. Okay. <clears throat> so in 1997, at the age of 57, Ray met 37 year old Cindy Hendy. Hendy was originally from Washington State, but moved to Truth or Consequences, New Mexico with her boyfriend at the time, and that is an actual town, Truth or Consequences, and from what I've seen, so the reason why I wanted to cover this was Bailey Sarian did, um, covered it 
a little while ago, and she was saying that Truth or Consequences has a very high crime rate. It was actually at one point in time the second most violent state or city in the country. And I mean, it's a very small town, but it's full of drugs, sex workers, um, gambling, you know, stuff like that. It was, it's just a really bad town. So, yeah. do you know the population? I believe it was 2,000, 2,000 people. Oh, small. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he, at this point in time, um, what was that? Farmingtown? No, it's actually right off of a nature reserve. Um, mm -hmm. Right next to it is Elephant Butte, which is kind of a resort town. And that's where he lived was on property over in Elephant Butte. I think it was like okay. a five-mile stretch or something like that from there. Right. So Cindy and her boyfriend, I didn't catch the boyfriend's name, but they were on the run from for grand theft auto, forgery, and drug charges. Um, she had three children that she left back in Washington State, and she had previously been in jail before, but she was just not about to go back. So she just up and abandoned them, which wow. I'm sure they're probably very happy about. Um, yeah. She did end up leaving her boyfriend for Ray. That's why I didn't really include him either. I didn't search for their names. I was not interested in their names because they have no real relevance to the story. Um, around this time, Ray began to work on what he called his toy box, a 25-foot long travel trailer that he kept on his property. This trailer had multiple locks on it. It had soundproofing. He spent over $100,000 to turn this travel trailer into a torture chamber is really what it was. Um, and, I mean, it had pulleys, leather straps, gynecological equipment. It had a modified gynecological table in it and just disgusting. And he would kidnap sex workers blind them, and then bring them back to the trailer where he would restrain them and play them a cassette tape detailing everything that he was going to do to them, what to expect, what the rules were, you know, things like that. Like I said, I was going to read the whole transcript of the recording, but I can't do it. I physically cannot even bring myself to read that again. Um... I'm not going to go into full detail about the things that were said. I am going to describe some of the things in it, but I'm not going to go into detail um, because it, it traumatized me. It really did. Um, I've talked about some really, really dark stuff, but this guy really takes the cake. Um, it's not something that I want to subject my followers to, and especially not my, my sister, you know. But the weird... The way that he worded things, too, though, made it sound like it was a very sick and twisted fanfic written to about, like, Fifty Shades of Grey. You know, when, when yeah. it's much, much, that like, one million times darker than, than Fifty Shades. And, well, yeah. I mean, Fifty Shades gets all this flack because it brings, it brings BDSM to a very bad light, and BDSM in... A normal context is not nearly as it's it's nothing like what's in Fifty Shades. 
Um, this especially, mm -mm. It's, BDSM is all about consent and this is not BDSM. This is torture. Um, so a brief summary of what was on the tape though, um, include his interest in bestiality, what to expect with it and how he facilitates it, why the women were taken, what the rules are for being his slave, um, what the punishments were if the rules were broken, such as electroshock, th over a thousand volts of electricity he would shock them with, um, exactly how he was going to assault them, that he was basically watching them at all times via a CCTV camera in the trailer that would live stream to the TV in the main house's living room. That his friends, um, he has friends that he likes to include in his torture. That even if the women were to escape, the only neighbor they had basically would not do anything and pretend that they didn't exist because of the fact that they are his friend. Wow. The women would be kept in reasonably good health in his custody, even though they would only be fed once a day. He would make sure that they would be toileted, um, bathed, you know, stuff like that. Make sure they'd have water. They wanted them to be healthy. Um, if the women were to bite him or Cindy, that he had no problem with cutting off body parts as punishment. The use of needles in various parts of their genitalia. Then he also had a questionnaire that he would have the women take, which would include medications, their sexual habits, their sexual preferences, any childbirths, how many and when, and their period dates. If these women were to have any medical conditions, then they would make adjustments, though those adjustments would not be to let them go. They would just adjust what they would do with the person. Um... He also talked about when they were finally going to be released, because that was one thing that he hinted at very heavily, not hinted at, said very explicitly, is that we don't want to kill you, we will if we have to, but we don't want to. So he went into detail about what, what happens when they decide that they've had enough. And basically he said, you know, we would use a combination of sodium pentothal and phenobarbital to put the woman in a trance-like state for a few days, and then subject them to hypnotic suggestion to not remember what happened to them. And then they would let them loose on a country road. Um, this article is kind of what I found on ThoughtCo, written by author Charles Montalato. I, again, reading the transcript, it took me days to get through it because it was too much. So... By the time I was done with that, I didn't really get enough time to do in-depth research. So I found this article that really condensed everything down, explained how he was caught. Um, I did change a few things in it just because they are not, they're very graphic and I didn't want that, you know, to be something that I talked about. So on March 22nd, 1999, in Elephant Butte, New Mexico... 22-year-old Cynthia Vigil, covered in blood, naked, and with a metal choker collar padlocked around her neck, was running for her life. She had no idea where she was and desperate to find help, and desperate to find help before captors caught up with her, she spotted a mobile home with the front door opened. Cynthia ran inside, pleading for help from the shocked homeowner. 
The police arrived shortly afterward and listened to Cynthia as Cynthia told her terrifying story of kidnap and torture. She told them that a man and a woman had kidnapped, enslaved her, and sexually assaulted her for three days. There she was tortured with whips, medical instruments, electric shock, and other sexual instruments until she managed to escape. The bruises, burns, and puncture wounds that covered her body backed up her story. According to Cynthia, she met her captors in Albuquerque, New Mexico as a prostitute. The man had offered her $20 in exchange for oral sex, and she went to his RV. Inside there, inside there was a woman who helped the man tie and gag her, along with placing a metal collar around her neck. They drove for an hour before stopping and, dragging, and dragged Cynthia inside a trailer where she was chained to a bedpost. She then listened to an audio tape describing what would, what would be happening to her while she was there. By the third day of her captivity, Cynthia had been exposed to electric shocks, endured being cattle prodded, whipped, and medical instruments and various sexual toys assaulted on her. She was hung up and sexually assaulted by David Ray. Cynthia was certain that soon she was going to be killed. She managed to escape after Ray left the trailer and she got a hold of the keys and unlocked herself from the chain. She tried to call 911 but was interrupted by her female captor. The two fought, and Cynthia managed to grab an ice pick and stab the woman in the neck. She then, she then ran from the house and kept running until she found the mobile home. Cynthia provided the police with the location of the trailer, but they were already at the home <clears throat> after the 911 call had abruptly ended. David Parker Ray and his girlfriend Cindy Lee Hendy were apprehended. During questioning, the two stuck to the same story, that Cynthia was a heroin addict and they were just trying to detoxify her. A search of Ray's property told another story. Inside Ray's mobile home, the police found evidence that backed up Cynthia's claim, including the audio tape. Inside another trailer that sat next to the mobile home was what detectives assumed was the toy box, as Ray called it. Inside were various instruments of torture, drawn pictures of how Ray would torture his victims, and various restraints, pulleys, whips, and sexual devices. However, the most shocking piece of evidence was a videotape of a woman being tortured by the couple. Ray and Hendy were arrested and charged with multiple counts, including kidnapping. As the investigation continued, additional evidence revealed that there had been many more victims and more than just Ray and Hendy involved in the crimes. Investigators also suspected that along with Ray being a serial rapist, he was also likely a serial killer. The problem that the authorities faced was Cynthia's credibility. She was an admitted prostitute and there was no way to prove that she was not there willingly. But then, after the newspapers ran the story about the couple's arrest, another victim came forward. Angelica Montano told police that she had been kidnapped, raped, and tortured by Ray and Hendy for three days, then drugged and left by a highway out in the desert. She was found by the police, but for unknown reasons, her complaint against the couple was never followed up. She decided to pursue it again after she saw that the two had been arrested. What was that? <clears throat> wow. Mm-hmm. So, <coughs> I would assume maybe something like someone got their hand slapped at that police department well that's the thing is from what i was gathering in a bunch of different articles is that um it's believed that he was a sex trafficker and that a lot 
more people were involved in his little games, including possibly some of the police. Mm -hmm. So, investigators also found that the woman that was videotaped after, um, sorry, investigators also found the woman that was videotaped after they identified a tattoo that was on her ankle. Kelly Garrett, who was found on, in Colorado, had been married just a few days before she was held captive by Ray and his daughter, Jesse Ray. Jesse Ray who was friends with Garrett, took her to a bar and drugged the beer that she was drinking. As Garrett struggled to leave the bar, Ray hit her on the head from behind. She was subjected to torture and rape for three days, then drugged and left on the side of the road near her in-law's home. Garrett's in-laws assumed that she had been on a drug binge, and she was still too confused to recall exactly what had happened. As a result, she was asked to leave and return to Colorado. As time went on, she remembered more about her ordeal, but she still suffered from amnesia. From what I read, her husband actually left her over what happened. Yeah. Um, once in custody, Cindy Hendy was quick to turn on Ray in a, deal, in a plea deal that included a reduced sentence. She told investigators that Ray told her about 14 murders that he had committed and where some of the bodies had been dumped. The problem with that is that it's believed that many of the bodies were dumped in the um, man-made lake that's over in Elephant Butte. And the reason why that's a problem is it's, it's massive. So it, it was unfeasible for them to drag the bottom of the lake looking for these bodies. And it was too costly for them to, um, to drain the lake. So basically, if there's bodies in that lake... Nobody knows. You could be swimming yeah. in there with a bunch of bodies. And then it gets you thinking, like, how often did we spend, how much of our childhood did we spend at the lake? That, not that lake. No, no, I'm just saying in general. Yeah, yeah, like, sure. Not that lake, though. Thank God. But, I mean, it, uh, it, it gets you thinking. <laughs> it gets you thinking, though, because you're like, wow, if he was able to murder 14 women and dump their bodies in this lake and they've never been found that could happen at any of our lakes and we just won't know and we're swimming with dead bodies i know <clears throat> the snake river there have been a few bodies that have been dumped there and we spent so much time at the snake river yeah like and, and then not to mention you've got that's just like the the creepy part of it but then you've got you know if there are 14 bodies dumped in this lake, that's 14 families who have no closure whatsoever because they do not have their, their loved one back. They still don't know what happened to their loved one. Um, she also told of some of the different ways that Ray would torture his victims, which included using a mirror, which was mounted to the ceiling above the, gyneco the gynecological chair, and he would strap his victims to it and force them to watch what he was doing to them. That is a massive, like, mind fuck all in its own right there. Like, I, oh. Um, she also gave the names of other accomplices, which included Ray's daughter, Glass uh, Jessie, Glenda Jean, and her boyfriend, Dennis Roy Yancey. 
According to Hendy, Jesse and Dennis had participated in the murder of Dennis's ex or yeah, Dennis's ex-girlfriend, 22-year-old Marie Parker. Thank you, babe. Sorry. No, you're good. Um so what kind of means. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's according to Hendy, Jesse and Dennis had participated in the murder of Dennis's 22-year-old ex-girlfriend, Maria Parker, or Marie Parker. Yancey was brought in for questioning and eventually admitted to being present when Ray and his daughter Jesse had kidnapped Parker and took her to their toy box. After three days of torture, Ray and Jesse told Yancey to kill her, which he did by strangling her with a rope. Yancey said that Ray threatened to kill him if he ever told anyone about it. Jesse Ray denied having anything to do with her father, the abductions, or the murder of Marie Parker. Cindy Hendy was sentenced to 36 years as agreed to in the plea bargain. She also testified against Ray during his trials. Dennis Roy received two 15-year sentences for second-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. He was released after serving 11 years, but returned to custody until 2021 for violating his parole. Jesse Ray was found guilty of kidnapping women for sexual torture and was sentenced to nine years in prison, six of which would be served out of prison on parole. So she served three years in prison for kidnapping wow. and torturing women and possibly the murder of Maria Parker. Marie Parker. Um, it was decided that David Parker Ray would be tried separately for each victim. Cynthia Vigil, Angelica Montano, and Kelly Garrett uh, be and only those three because they had no proof about the other victims. They, there's no bodies. There's nobody coming forward to testify against him that, you know, he did these things to them. So, unfortunately, you know, they, their hands were tied and could only try him for the three people. Um, he later agreed to a plea deal. Like, like she said. Yeah. Um... He later agreed to a plea deal, and he was sentenced to 224 years in prison. But on May 28, 2002, Ray died of a heart attack while on his way to an interrogation by state police at the Leah County Correctional Facility. So he, he's dead. He's gone. So, yeah. That's David Parker Ray. Wait, did you say how he died? Heart attack. Heart attack. How old? Um, I don't know. Let me do the math real quick. I gotta get my cal calculator up. Uh, there we go. I'm gonna have to look up that transcript. Honestly, I mean, you know me. I I do like dark shit. So. Um, I found it on Reddit. Um. I just Googled David Parker Ray audio tape transcript. Okay. If you can, if you can, if it's in your history. Okay. Okay. So he was born nine, uh, so 2002 minus 1939. He was 63. 
Actually, he wasn't 63 yet. He was going to be 63. He was 62. This cat. <laughs> She's so cute, though. I just don't want her to stick her bum in the camera. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to see that. There was a book that I, you know, I know I said that I wouldn't read the transcript, but somebody in the comment section of the, um, the Reddit page suggested a book that... Um, I have saved into my phone. Um, so the book, I'm looking at David Parker right now, like a picture of him probably before he died around the time he died. He, He looks old. Honestly, I was surprised when I saw him because he looks like, um, oh, Jim. He looks like a mean man, like, like that man in a restaurant that gets mad because you didn't put enough ice cubes in his water or something. You know what I mean? Have you ever seen Supernatural? Uh, I mean, I've seen a few episodes. Um, he looks like one of the guys from Supernatural, at least I thought so, um, Jim Beaver. He looked like, uh, let me get a photo and I'll show you. Um, but he's like the sweetest man in the world. Let's see here. Let's go with one from when he was Bobby from Supernatural. Okay. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to screen share this. Uh... Screen share, there we go. Okay, so if I go to documents, come on. A lot of me. Unnamed. There we go. Okay, so this is him as Bobby. Does he not look like him? No, I don't see it. You don't see I'm it? Images of him too. Okay, hold on. There was one photo in particular that I shared it to the Instagram page where I thought he looked the most like. Oh, that one. Oh, am I still screen recording? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Um, But yeah, that photo. Um, No, so somebody in the Reddit page recommended this book called Slow Kill. um, And it's basically about David Parker Ray. And um, they said that it was probably the most in-depth book written about him and the most factual. So I I think once I'm in a better place mentally, I might be able to revisit and read it. But like right now, obviously, I'm not in a place emotionally to read anything more into him. Um, but yeah, he's he's a very sick individual. I'll send you that Reddit link. 
Um, see if I can do that now real quick. All right, guys, this is where we're going to wrap it up. Um, I hope you all are staying safe out there. Uh, make sure you're masking up and be safe.